Welcome to another Cohort W podcast episode, bringing you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most exciting and enterprising young warrant officer leaders. Each episode is dedicated to exploring real-life leadership in the warrant officer cohort in tackling the problems faced in large-scale combat operations and multi-domain operations. And now, here's your host. Hello. This week, Cohort W Studios went to Fayetteville and Fort Bragg, North Carolina, to interview two 180 Alpha Special Forces Warrant Officers. I am joined today by Chief Warrant Officer 2 David Cleveland and Chief Warrant Officer 2 Parker Reading. Can you both introduce yourselves to our listeners, please? Yeah, thanks for having us, Dr. Hauser. My name's uh, CW2 Parker J. Reading. I've been in the Army for 21 years. I'm married to my wife, Anne-Marie. I have kids, Ethan and Asher. And my current job right now is the company operations warrant for Alpha Company 3rd Battalion, 3rd Special Forces Group. I am CW2 David Cleveland. I'm from Hampton, Virginia. I am married to my wonderful wife, Jennifer, and we have two boys, Josh and Carson. I've been in the military for about 20 years. I'm currently serving as a company operations warrant in the Special Forces Regiment as well. Great. Thank you both. Can you tell me uh, what your MOS is, your MOS title, and a little bit about your branch, please? I served as a 180 Alpha. It's a Special Forces Warrant Officer. Special Forces Warrant Officers are combat leaders and staff officers who manage all aspects of Special Forces operations. Uh, We can operate in the joint strategic, operational, and tactical environments at all levels of planning and execution worldwide. We advise commanders on strategic reconnaissance, intelligence, collection, strikes, and security operations. Additionally, we can lead specialized teams in advanced special operations, counterterrorism, psychological operations, civil affairs, and other missions as required by hire. At the detachment level, you'll typically see a Warrant Officer 1 or a Chief Warrant Officer 2 in these positions and will serve as an assistant detachment commander. Here they will focus on unit training management, interagency cooperation, advanced special operations, doctrine and policy, and the fusion of intelligence and operations. At the company level, which is our current job, will serve as a company operations officer or staff officer. Pretty similar to a, a S3 or S35 in the conventional formation, we'll focus on current and future operations at the company level. This includes unit training management, sustainment and resourcing, managing advanced special operations programs, and serve as advisor to the company commander and company sergeant major. Additionally, we have the responsibility to develop the six assistant detachment commanders on the detachments. It is important to provide a network of warrants to enable their development, leadership, and ability to advise in the Special Forces Regiment. Thank you, David and Parker. What we do at the company level, what I like so much about it is that we do have that ability to influence the younger warrants. So now we have, in our company, we have six operational detachment alphas, and each one of them has a detachment warrant on that, which is a W1 or a CW2. So we provide that mentorship on down at this point now. So we're at the operational level for that guy at the tactical level as he works with his captain and master sergeant to conduct operations. We help and facilitate his planning and his execution of that as they execute operations globally. Thank you both very much. Can you share with the audience your practical work in garrison training and deployment, please? In the garrison environment, we will serve as company operational warrants, as we mentioned, to ensure all guidance, policies, and regulations are instituted in day-to-day operations. The majority of our focus will reside in training when we're in garrison and training management. We'll look at the use of the Army Training Network site to resource the combined armed training strategies, which we call CATS, and the Mission Essential Task List, or MEDAL, in concert with our commander's training guidance to prepare, train, resource, 
certified mentor and enabled attachments to operate within the soft domain. So that's special operation forces domain. Bottom line, we support the attachments to ensure they have the time resources, a repetitive and complex training to prepare them for any environment to include large scale operations. During deployment, we'll look at managing tactical operations to cover that soft that special operational force through space, cyberspace, fires, intelligence, information effects to see, sense, and stimulate targets and threats across the operational environment. We will manage the advanced special operations programs and advise the commander on future operations as we fuse intelligence and operations to generate effects on the battlefield and our environment. These efforts apply in steady state, uncertain environments, and large-scale operations. Thank you for sharing, David, and now we'll turn it over to Parker for his answer. As the W1s and the CW2s, when they're putting together training, as part of their primary task is long-range training planners, they build all the packets. They plan and coordinate that all on their own at the detachment level. And then what we do is we take a lot of that, we help them plan and resource that with the battalion. And we just kind of facilitate and push that forward. So what's unique in Special Forces as compared to outside there is that we do a lot of our own internal planning. A detachment, that 12-man uh, Operation Detachment Alpha, will plan an entire large-scale event that normally a company or battalion will plan in, in a conventional unit. They need the resources and the effort put behind them. And that's where the company level, where Dave and I sit now, where we kind of help them facilitate that. We take what they're trying to do and we further resource that and further make sure that gets done through the checklist, through the formal reporting requirements and report writing that we need to get done to make sure that that gets done like it needs to. Yeah, I think you mentioned on one of your previous podcasts or one of your guests did, uh, that nobody comes out of the warrant course knowing how to be 100% a, a assistant attachment commander or a company warrant officer. Right. Um, so we're there to help them shape their ability to do those functions. To summarize, in addition to the formal structures that you have in place for practical work, there is also an expected mentoring going on. Is that correct? Yes, sir. At the company level where Dave and I sit now, we have approximately six to seven years in as a warrant officer. We're at the cusp of being threes. In the Special Forces Regiment, we breed our own warrant officers. You can't be a warrant officer unless you've been an NCO and SF. So now you're a W1 and you have to be there for two years. You're still looking for mentorship. You're still trying to figure out what you do in life. And that's where the senior twos come into play in the company operations like Dave and I, where, where we, we become mentors and older guys that can, that can help walk them through some of those processes and facilitate some of those things that they need to get done. Their role is now very much larger than it was when they were an NCO, and we're there to help them get through that. That uh, commitment to mentorship is outstanding to hear. Can you walk me through how that work fits into the typical warfighting functions? As we posture around the world, and if you're looking at FM 3-0, and you're looking at the notional operations across the conflict continuum, military engagement, security cooperation, and deterrence to your far left in the green, that's where we fit perfectly in that box. With JSETs, uh, Joint Combined Exchange Trainings, and Counter Narcotics Training, CNTs, we posture ourselves all around the globe where we can react, facilitate, and be anywhere in any phase of any conflict. Thank you, Parker and David. For me, how I see us integrating in the warfighting functions is, is just that. So looking at the BCTs and how they project combat power over the scope of their warfighting functions. Uh, you have a veterinarian, uh, you have an ordnance officer, they're very clearly in sustainment. Um, you have the, the maneuver elements, they're clearly in the maneuver. Um, you have the fires, they're clear, you know, the cannons and all that stuff, they're clearly in the fires. 
I think what's unique about special forces is we can go across the spectrum of those warfighting functions and find unique ways to integrate in with the conventional forces and enhance their combat power, be a sensor for them so their combat power is emboldened or enabled. And the RSOF concept talks about how SOF, or Special Operation Force, integrates in with cyber, integrates in with space, integrates in with, with fires. I think the major takeaway is the integration of command and control and intelligence uh, within that warfighting functions, the ability to get information from the battlefield or from that environment, and then be able to process that into a, a decision-making process for those uh, commanders to take away and be able to act on that intelligence. So I want to take the, the work that you do for potentially all the uh, warfighting functions and spin that up in, in, into the bigger picture of uh, LISCO and MDO. And generally, I try to split those up. But for you both, you've asked in advance if we can talk about them together. So how does that practical work fit into large-scale combat operations and MDO? Can you talk to me about that? And we'll begin with David. I know that we're all in this learning phase um, as we transition to a LISCO focus or large-scale combat operation. I think with any operational approach, it's important to understand the problem. So the problem in the large-scale operation, as I see it, is distance and getting our assets in, out, and close to the enemy forces without compromise from a layered threat. This may include standoff threats like cyber attacks, subversion, political influence, and more intimate threats such as communication disruption, navigation uh, denial, compromise, and direct engagement. The U.S. Army Special Operation Force, RSOF, concept operation from 2028 to 2040 consists of five phases compete, penetrate, disintegrate, exploit, and recompete. In the compete phase, we'll mitigate risk by creating deterrences, early warning, and possess the ability to identify indicators of hostile intent and delay or disrupt if necessary. In the penetrate, disintegrate, and exploit phase, we'll look to mobilize the population to generate combat power, counter hostile influence, and expand the range of combined armed operations for the joint forces, which are our conventional forces, and the surge layer. This allows maneuver and strike into the operational deep areas. RSOF unilaterally or with partner forces will physically, virtually, and cognitively penetrate and disintegrate critical standoff nodes to enable exploitation. So when we talk about physically or virtually or cognitive, this is the application of what we call cross-functional teams, which is the employment of special forces, civil affairs, psychological operations, and enablers, which could be a whole slew of MOSs across the, the scope of the Army combat power, to create a layered effect and present the enemy with multiple dilemmas across the battlefield. And lastly, the recompete phase looks at consolidating gains, terminating conflict, transition control over to territory and populations to a legitimate civil authority and to reposture for a new security environment. In the MDO construct, soft elements will operate in the strategic, operational, and tactical support areas, as well as the close, deep maneuver, operational deep fires, and the strategic deep fire area. Typically, however, you'll see special forces companies and below will operate in the close through the strategic deep fire areas, which along that large combat operation is kind of towards the right. Great. Thank you. Parker? The way we try to do it is we posture ourselves globally so that we are within the bubble when it goes up. Third group, we are all over Africa through JSETs and CNTs so that if something or ever happened, the comms denial or the air denial goes up from our competitors, we are already postured to where we can react, where we can be within that sphere of influence and degrade and do what we need to do in support of U.S. operations.
I think in a practical application to that, my experience in JROTC is a, a great kind of way to wrap your mind around it. The operational attachment alpha, which are the, the ODAs on the ground, and the operational attachment bravo, the, the company level leadership, conducted infiltration into the operational box. And we're able to provide intelligence, conduct special reconnaissance, and utilize our human network to identify pieces on the battlefield for the BCT. So they were able to use their fires and their intelligence and all their other combat powers to leverage against the threat. In us working together, I think it worked very well in kind of looking at that LISCO environment threat operation and how we would fit in. The, the CTC rotations are starting to pick right. up on that, and that's a great opportunity to practice right. that as you continue to develop out our concepts. Right. One of the best things that SF does when we think of competing is that we become the partner of choice. That's what we want. So if we can become the partner for a country like Niger and where that country goes to the U.S. for support and help and aid, then we're winning. Then that means Russia and China are not going to those countries. If we can partner with third world developing countries that need support, that have a problem with ISIS or Al-Qaeda, and if they're looking to the U.S. for support, then we're winning. We're beating Russia and China in that way. That's how SF does it the best. Thank you both for that work and that explanation. I'm going to rotate now into uh, the final section. How have you come to view the work that you do as important or as fitting into the Army mission? The way I see my work fitting into the Army mission is every branch has their piece of the puzzle. Special Forces is unique in the sense that we work by, with, and through Indigenous forces. Not very many other organizations do that. That doesn't make us better or worse than the other elements out there in the Army conducting operations and, and doing what they do best. This is what we do best. That being our role in this is how I see us fitting into the puzzle. Parker, I think that's well put and kind of caveat off that human domain aspect. Over 20 years of service, people over hardware, 100%. People over hardware. Identify a way to take care of your people in your organization and they will enable you to complete the mission. Give an individual time and space to develop, grow mentally, physically, and ensure the families are taken care of. They'll create a culture within your organization that is unparalleled. So that over my time, that's, that's what it's all about is the people to my left and right. Great. Thank you. What would either or both of you tell a new warrant officer, whether in your branch or who just graduated from Fort Rucker or one of the RTIs? Other than uh, get to work. Um, <laughs> 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 do your job. <laughs> do your job. <laughs> no. uh, you obviously, you sit down. Uh, very first thing you do is you have a counseling with them in a professional and a personal manner. But I would encourage them to network with other warrants down the hall. And when I say down the hall, we work in a linear hallway. So there's six teams across that span of that hallway. Sometimes you get tunnel vision focus and you're so busy that you're just, you're staying in that team room. So I encourage them to get out not only seek out a network down your own hallway, but outside the battalion, outside of our regiment, and learn the different uh, MOSs in the warrant fields because you'll be working with them as you continue to grow in, in your field. I'll also encourage them to read as much as possible about policy, doctrine, and, and leadership. This, of course, is followed up by finding a mentor in the community that provides them with an unmatched platform to develop into an SME in the field. This enables them to articulate what they can bring to the fight in any environment. Thank you, David. 
top things that I look at a guy when I first mentor him and sit down and do that counseling with him is network. I absolutely agree with Dave. That's most important in the special forces community because our community is so small. Never stop learning. Always look at the policies. Always look in doctrine. Always look in your books. Always ask your friends. Always ask your company operations warrant. Never stop learning. You're never too old and you never know everything. So just keep learning. Seek mentors. Nobody knows it all. So go out, seek that mentorship. Find somebody that can provide sound advice when you need it. You will need it at some point. Find a guy that can provide that mentorship to you, provide that guidance to help you get through the times that you need it, and provide that leadership to the teams. They need it. It's your job to provide it. Don't hesitate on it. Don't falter. Provide the leadership that they need on that detachment. You're a warrant officer now in special forces. Those are leaders. Those are commanders. Act like it. Thank you, Parker. And back to David. One of the last things is we are in the people business, especially being in special forces. So I encourage them to make sure they're taking care of the guys on the team, on the detachment, uh, and taking care of their families. Because you, you got to make sure they're not outrunning their headlights. And by I mean headlights is they're just continuing to train and train and train without taking an appropriate amount of breaks and making sure they, they have that time and space yeah, absolutely. To, to recharge. Uh, you see it a lot. Um, some of the mental fatigue that soldiers are having nowadays for years and years and years of combat rotations and, and training. So just make sure they understand the complexities of managing that training, family, work-life balance. Well, I appreciate both your times very much, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure actually doing a live interview. Happily be back on my old stomping grounds here at Fort Bragg. See how much it's grown. So thank you very much and have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. On behalf of the Warrant Officer Historical Foundation, thank you to today's guest for your insights on the future of warfare and the importance of the Warrant Officer to that fight. Please visit warrantofficerhistory.org to learn more about how you can help support the foundation and programs like this. Special thanks to our theme music composer, Josh DiStefano. Visit joshdiStefano.com to hear more of his outstanding works.